Welcome to Cellmates Podcast. I'm Dick Ward. I'm Kate Phillips. Cellmates Podcast is a uh, podcast about animated movies. We take two different movies, we kind of mush them together, put them in a Venn diagram, and see what they've got in common. Mm-hmm. Uh, y- these Disney's are these movies <laughs> are often Disney, uh, not always. Often uh, musicals, uh, not always, <laughs> and often good, not always, and. That's the third take we've done of that, uh, and the, that's... <laughs> the best one we've got so far. Not always. Not always. <laughs> Kate, what what do you got? What do you what do you got in front of you there? Well, I am drinking um, a smile. Mm-hmm. Huh. Smile. Uh-huh. I, you can't see me now, listeners, but I'm smiling with my smile cocktail. I can verify this. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is. Well, she stopped smiling so she could take a drink, uh, so that the liquid did not drip out of her mouth and down her face that's right uh but nope she's not smiling anymore yeah well uh we made our own i'm i'm still smiling on the inside oh uh we made our own (laughs) spirit for this cocktail today oh uh you might say that we like uh like composed like wrote our own cocktail Uh uh-huh today um and it's pretty the gin that we made is pretty good yeah, so a smile is what gin and gin, granity, and lemon juice. Nice, and yeah, we made our own gin here. Mm-hmm. We did not make our own lemon juice. A lemon did that for us. Yeah, and we did not make our own grenadine, but we made no. our own gin. But we pretty good. We were part of the creative team. That's right. Of this drink. Yeah, yeah. I'd say we so, were like an important part of the creative team. So Dick, the three things that you said before that our movies often are. Is Disney, mm-hmm. uh, musicals, mm-hmm. and good. Yeah, often. What about um, the the two animated movies part of the thing you said? Is that an often or no, is that always? A, we always do always. animated movies. Like we've 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 gotten a little off with with like cats, but that's pretty animated. Yeah. So I expect we'll stay with that for the rest of the podcast. So what if I told you, Dick, that what the what we're talking about today is. Definitely Disney. Okay. Definitely musical. Yes. Definitely good, Mm -hmm. but not two animated movies. Spit take. (sighs) De-smile. What? Um, So we, I mean, we shouldn't assume, but we do assume that if you're listening to a podcast about animated movies, you might uh, have a subscription to Disney+. Plus. Uh, You might be a little bit familiar with the streaming service where a lot of animated movies live right now. Yeah. Um, you also might not. You also might not, and that's you. okay. Um, you may have a subscription to Bluth, Don Bluth Plus. Yeah. Or Rankin Bass Max or something. Anyway, uh, <laughs> whether or not you have Disney Plus, you may have heard that there is a new documentary out. It's not actually a new documentary, but there is a newly released documentary mm. called Howard on the... Uh, life and musical theater animated movie contributions wow. of Howard Ashman. Oh. Yeah. So we thought uh, we would take today's, this week's episode and uh, kind of put Howard Ashman in a Venn diagram. <laughs> uh, separate 100% his work match. out. 
He is him. Howard and Ashman are the two things <laughs> that we're talking about. Well, you do you do have that theory that there are actually two composers, one named Andrew Weber and one named Lloyd Weber. Correct. Otherwise, and they work on different things. Uh, well, one brain cannot write both Jesus Christ Superstar and Cats, no. so it, there's no more logical explanation. That's fair. Than that. So, could there be a Howard and an Ashman? Well, maybe. I guess we could say the documentary is named Howard. Yeah. And then when we say Ashman, we're talking about the person. Oh, that's so maybe it's a that's yes. So when we say Howard. Uh, we're talking about the documentary, uh-huh. and when we say Ashman or Mister Ashman or Howard Ashman, and we're never going to break that rule in the next less than two hours because we're going to get interrupted, right, by a theme song or something. Yes, because my computer is for some reason playing back audio that is on my editing track. No problem. So we're hearing the intro and outro themes wherever they happen to be. Yeah, no problem. Uh, Dick, I have a question for you. A oh, series boy. of questions for you today. Uh, when did you first become aware of a man named Howard Ashman? Uh, Kate, you made me aware of a man named Howard Ashman. Is I mean, is that yeah, true? Absolutely, it's okay. true. Um, yeah, I never looked into who wrote Disney songs. I was just like, yeah, someone wrote them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, so... When I found out uh, that there's this guy named Alan Mankin, mm-hmm. and he wrote the music uh, to not only um, several of the best Disney movies, and also Little Shop of Horrors, mm-hmm. uh, and that there's this guy named uh, Howard Ashman, mm-hmm. who wrote the lyrics and also some of the music and some mm-hmm. of the movies, uh, that's, that's cool. Yeah. I don't know. That's, yeah. Yeah. What about you? I think I first became aware of Howard Ashman uh, in during the credits of Beauty and the Beast. Uh, <laughs> um, I... Like, as a kid? I mean, yeah. Like, I don't, on first viewing? So, I think that was, like, the surface impression, right? Mm. That, like, there's this there's this little memorial at the end of Beauty and the Beast... That says, you know, dedicated to Howard Ashman, mm. parentheses, two years, and one of them is 91. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that, that usually means someone on the movie team has passed away and right. it's dedicated to them. And I really didn't think more of it than that. I right. thought he was kind of like, you know, more of what I would learn later to be like, maybe like a director or a producer or something. Right. It turns out he was a producer as well, but... <laughs> Um, he was a little bit of everything. A little bit of everything. But yeah, the more that I you know, learned about, because I was obsessed with Disney music through all my childhood, and I knew who all the voice actors was, were, and I had a vague uh, notion of who Alan Menken was. And so I think it was only a matter of time before I knew of Howard Ashman, yeah. um, um, who for, for animated movies specifically wrote the credited as the lyricist and producer mm-hmm. of both Little Mermaid and Beat and the Beast. Mm-hmm. And he wrote lyrics to some songs in Aladdin, um, but Tim Rice finished his work because right. uh, Howard Ashman passed away in 1991 mm-hmm. during the middle of production on Aladdin. And Tim Rice finished it 
in as close as he could to a Howard Ashman style. He did, which and he did a bang up job. Which we're actually about to talk about. Ooh. Dick, here's another question. Mm-hmm. What might you consider a Howard Ashman style of writing lyrics? So I just I I, I described it to you I think yesterday, and I'm gonna say it again, uh, like Stephen Sondheim but fun. Ooh. I love Stephen. Them Sond- be fighting words for our Stephen Sondheim fan listeners. I I don't think so. <laughs> I, I love Stephen Sondheim. I really do. Assassins is awesome. Uh, that one with the cow mm-hmm. is great. Uh, I, I, I like a lot of his work. Cow is white as milk. He, he's not fun so much. <laughs> he's very intellectual. Yes. Stephen Sondheim musicals are very cerebral. Mm-hmm. Um, but in general, Stephen Sondheim is kind of crowned as one of the uh, preeminent lyricists of music theater yeah. of our time, and and Sondheim writes his own music now since since Gypsy and West Side Story. And you've you've got to kind of give it to him uh, for squeezing in more words than anybody has ever tried to sing before mm-hmm. in in a short amount of time. Yes, uh, and that I would say is something that Ashman mm-hmm. absolutely does. Mm-hmm. Um, like looking at. Howard Ashman lyrics, nearly all of them are like any song that's not like Beauty and the Beast mm-hmm. or part of your anything that's not like a slow, mm-hmm. beautiful ballad is a tongue twister. It's like a three minute tongue twister. Yeah. And you don't realize it. Right. Uh, until you like sit down and try and learn all the lyrics. Yeah. Um, Which I did as a child. <laughs> yeah. And I think uh, even as an adult, if you asked me if I knew all the lyrics like a year ago, mm-hmm. if you're like, yeah, do you know all the lyrics to Be Our Guest? I'd be like, of course. It's Be Our Guest. Yeah, yeah. I know that song. And then we went to um, to Disney, mm-hmm. to Epcot. To before, Disney World. Before, before the COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had, we went to the Beauty and the Beast sing-along in the mm-hmm. France Pavilion. And they had the lyrics on the screen. And I was just like, oh, I've been singing this wrong. Yeah. These are not the lyrics that I thought they were. Either singing it wrong or just skipping over entire parts of them. Because you're like, "Mm, great stuff, it's delicious. Like, (laughs) like you think you you, you know some like key lines, but you're like, oh, I've just not been even singing those lines because it's too many words. Or Gaston is the one that gets me. Gaston is so, and there are additional verses that Mm -hmm. he wrote. So, Sorry, backing up a little bit yeah. because we never really announced this episode. I'm realizing, like we kind we kind of said it was did, a Venn diagram between Howard and Ashman, and that's yeah. It's t- more of a uh, we're talking about Howard Ashman. We're it's a Howard Ashman uh, tribute episode. Yeah, you if you've listened to the podcast before, you've probably heard us talk about Howard Ashman mm-hmm. and how great he is, and uh, it's it's only fitting that uh, he get his own episode. Uh, especially right on the tail of this documentary hitting Disney+. Plus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and a huge impact on animated movies since his, you know, two and a half mm-hmm. <laughs> movies with Disney. And of course he did other things in his career. But but yeah, because not only did he write lyrics, which, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we'll dive into right now, but he also had impact on what the music sounded like. Mm-hmm. And larger than that, he was, you know, when he did theater before he got to Disney he was very often the lyricist librettist uh, and the director yep. so he had his hand in everything and yeah. same with 
the two movies he um, saw to completion. Yes, you have I, your hand raised. I do. What's a librettist? Go, that's a great question. Thank you. The libretto of um, a musical is all of the text, the songs, okay. and the like scenes in between. Um, but the, the libretto is sometimes is, is sometimes the same as the book, sometimes different than the book. But um, book in a musical is also just the general plot and the shaping. So if you know a musical says music by so-and-so, lyrics by so-and-so, book by so-and-so, they're probably writing any dialogue scenes, mm-hmm. but even in a show like Les Mis that's sung through, there's still a book writer, and that's right. a separate thing than writing the lyrics because you need to figure out the, the arcs of the, the characters. The book writer's got the, like, here's the, the plot. The here's sequence what's happening. and the pacing, all yeah. of that, the, like, the nitty-gritty storytelling of the whole thing. Got it. Um, and Howard Ashman excelled in all of these zones and mm-hmm. had impacts in all of these zones, specifically on animated movies. Um, so, sorry. Thanks for letting me cut that out. I was no. so excited about having a segue to lyrics. Absolutely. And uh, I forgot to kind of announce what we were doing. Kate, I described um, my impression of, of uh, Howard Ashman's mm-hmm. lyrics. Do you have uh, anything you want to add to that or a, or a different take? Yeah. It, when When you said... You know, these are like three minute long tongue twisters, but you don't realize it. I think that you, the you don't realize it is where I get an access point to Howard Ashman, where these mm. were just the movies I grew up with. And he created the pattern kind of for the um, the style of these animated movies mm-hmm. that then Steven Schwartz, you may, you probably haven't heard of probably him. Probably haven't heard of him. Um, He's kind what, of sorry. What is that joke? What is that joke from? You you've asked this before on this podcast. I have. It's from a Pocahontas behind the scenes featurette where they're like Alan Menken, who's won Oscars for all of these Dis- like, and they list out the Disney movies. Joining him is Stephen Schwartz, Tony winner. Moving on. <laughs> like they don't list any of his projects. They don't. They're like you've never heard of Tony him. Tony winner. Just don't worry about it. Oh. Um. So. You know, Stephen Schwartz, a you know, fine lyricist on his own merit, but kind of the pattern is set from this point forward of what a Disney song does. Like, yeah. you know, there are eras of musical theater and what songs do in a musical theater piece um, are different in the 1950s than right. in the 1990s. And I think that's the same for, you know, of course, Disney movies as well, 50s versus 90s. But even the specific way that, you know, Ashman crafts a song and the sequence of songs gets not copied, but it's it just becomes the template yeah, for it's, Disney. It's it's not copied, it's just the form. Yeah. It's just this is how it works. Yeah. If you don't have an I want song like Right. Like uh I think I I mean, I don't want to stray away from lyrics, mm-hmm. but one of the things that that Ashman like kind of created was or at least at Disney was mm-hmm. the phrase an I want song. Right. Right. In um the documentary Howard, um, which is on Disney Plus, mm-hmm. uh I think it's Roger Allers who ends up directing The Lion King, but he does a lot of story and script writing before that. Um it was he's just like we we were in this meeting and we were just kind of blown away by this man just putting it into words. Like Yep, a uh, character's got to want something, and you have to say it out loud. And all of us, you know, who have, like, degrees in storytelling going, <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess that is true. But, like, no one has articulated it right. like this up until this point. Um, and, yeah, I mean, and I think, 
you know, we have, we always have a rough outline of a podcast and, you know, here we're like, oh, we'll talk about lyrics, music, then book. But it's so hard. Just like Howard Ashman's contributions, they're going to bleed into each other. So, yeah. But and, and watching the documentary, mm-hmm. by the way, that is that is something that was fascinating to mm-hmm. me about Howard Ashman mm-hmm. is like he didn't go in with a rough sketch of anything. No, he would be uncomfortable with how we plan our podcast. Yes, very. Because. Uh, well, you're already a little uncomfortable yes. with it. Uh, Somewhat. <laughs> but he, uh, like, he goes in, he knows, like, what he wants to happen lyrically, musically, what he wants the actors to do. Mm-hmm. Like, he just has the full picture in his head at the mm-hmm. beginning. And just, he's like a laser beam, just goes and mm-hmm. gets it. So, I guess one thing that impresses me about his lyrics is mm. how how easily they flow out of the characters Mm -hmm. and how then when you go and read them back, you're like, oh, this is really impressive Uh just from a poetic, like a a words standpoint. But you don't notice how complex these rhyme schemes are. I mean, and not like they're complex, like, you know, you need like a poetry scholar to uncover them, but like how very, very... um, structured these lyrics are and how well they flow with you know your patterns of speech and then you look back at them you're like oh my gosh that's a beautiful lyric like you know when you're four or five years old you take the line bittersweet and strange finding you can change learning you were wrong like that's just that was just a lyric of a song I knew right and then you get older, you're like, oh, that's mm. you're you're delivering a very complex, like, b- like wisdom bomb there in yeah. just in such a compact, like in fifteen syllables, yeah. right? Is just oof. Yeah. And he is masterful at that, at, um, you know, distilling ideas down to a few words that just punch it in place. And then also doing something like Gaston, which is just like a many stanza long joke, right? Like, and each stanza is its own joke. Gaston. And the rhymes keep coming and how, I don't know, like. Yeah. That's one of the funniest songs. Yeah. To me. Like, and it's something that I didn't realize. Like, one, I didn't realize how funny I found it until I saw the live action Beauty and the Beast and was like. Why am I so angry right now? <laughs> oh, because this song's not fun. Yeah. Um, that song's a blast. And the the lyrics, like, if you sit down and look at them, because, like, I, I don't know. I think you do a better job of this. I have a difficult time understanding sung lyrics. Mm. And I think that's, I, I think that's fairly common, but I don't know. You pick up on them pretty well. Um but like again like if we're watching Beauty and the Beast with the the closed captions on right or, or yeah. if we're like looking through a if we're looking at the lyrics are you, are you referring to the large lyric book of Ashman uh, songs that's on my sprawled on my lap right now yes <laughs> um but Gaston there's so much clever uh phrasing in that so many like fun little misdirects yeah and, uh, yeah, that song is just funny. Yeah. It's just It really good. is. I'm looking at both uh, versions of Gaston, and I'm even trying to find, like, 
Okay, so here's an example of one that was left out. Mm. I think they may be bringing it back for Broadway and or the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, who plays darts like Gaston? Who breaks hearts like Gaston? Who's much more than the sum of his parts? Why Gaston? When I hunt, I sneak up with my quiver, and the beasts of the field say a prayer. First I carefully aim for the liver, then I shoot from behind. Is that fair? I don't care. Like, just these lyrics that are so, like, how long does it take to write that, right? Like, you have to fit in with that da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And it just fits so syllabically. Is that mm-hmm. how you would say that? Um, exactly within those the, the syllables. He doesn't have yeah. to add or subtract anything. And then you've got the right like quiver, prayer, liver, fair. I don't care. Like, mm-hmm. and just there's a naturalism to it that you're like, well, what else would those lines be? Yeah. But who does that? Who's like, I, they... uh, we're gonna do a stand about hunting. It's gonna talk about the beast's liver, like. <laughs> and the the. The fact that, like you said, it comes so naturally out of the characters and it doesn't sound like it sounds almost conversational, Mm. right? Like it's being sung, but it sounds like, oh, yeah, I'm just talking about, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, when I find the beast, I shoot at its liver, you know, pull Mm -hmm. on the quiver. Mm -hmm. Like it's it's very in character and very natural. Yeah. Um, And you could tell that he writes differently for different characters too which is really interesting absolutely absolutely um i mean also (coughs) this right so what a privilege (laughs) aren't we lucky Mm -hmm. um like what a privilege i think for especially like i am (coughs) four years old when this movie comes out Mm -hmm. for me to not know anything but a howard ashman lyric for, for songs, right? Like, oh, no, this is just how songs work. Because, like, y- you look at this Beauty and the Beast, um, the first song, the opening number, is a song called da, Bell. Da, 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 That's the prologue. Oh, okay. Uh, Bell. <laughs> but, yeah, the prologue comes first. Uh, but Bell is so, to me, very typical musical theater opening. But it's... Never been done before in an animated movie. Mm. And it's very, I mean, there are so few examples up until this point. I'd say like like tradition in Fiddler on the Roof is like this sprawling of an opening where you're meeting so many different characters and there's so many conversations happening. Um, maybe the music man, but it is like, you know, confined to one Look car down. chain. Look yeah. You meet Gavrash. Yeah, that's true. Les Mis is a lot. No, you don't meet Gavrash. You meet him in the second act, look down. No, he says, how do you do? My name's Gavrash. Yeah. That's not in the opening These are number. my people. Here's my patch. That's an act two. You're Gavra- an act Gavrash two. is an act two character. You're an act two character. Because he wouldn't be alive in the look You know down. what? I don't care. Anyway. Um, and... Like, I'm confusing the, the, Les Miserables with Les Miseranimals again, is what's happening. What is Les Miseranimals? What? Are you serious? Yes. We've watched Les Miseranimals like twice. What? It's the Rita and Runt Animaniacs. Oh, the, okay. Yeah. All right. I didn't know that it was called that. Of course it's called that. What else would it be called? I don't know. Yeah. They're, I don't know. Anyway, Howard anyway, Ashman. Howard Ashman. So, 
it, the the story that Mencken tells about this song is that Howard is like super super nervous to present this to the directors and the storyboarders. The song Bell. The song Bell right. because as he said at the time, no one asked for this. Like no one asked us for a 6 minute opening number for this animated movie. Yeah, like the script Right, mm-hmm. uh, I, th- I, th- I think they were talking about the like the script was already kind of set, like okay, Bell goes or the storyboard, just like yeah. okay, Bell goes into town, she buys some bread, she runs into Gaston, da 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 da, uh-huh. and then like Ashwin and Menken are like, cool, we're gonna write a giant long opening number that incorporates all of this and like just the back and forth, all those conversations, right? I need six eggs, that's too expensive, like, mm-hmm. and. It just flows in this way, like, you know, so much of when people think of musical theater, they think of, like, a character standing on stage and belting their heart out. They think of the I Want song, yeah. right? But it's, it's, this stuff is so, it's so much trickier to write, right? Because you're dealing with multiple voices, but you're also, it's the call and response, and it's not just one thought played out over a paragraph, it's, okay, this person comes in, and this person is asking for this, and it still has to rhyme, and it still has to flow, and they presented it, and everyone is blown away by this mm-hmm. six-minute opening number. And, of course, they keep it. And now it's like, you know, I think about writing musicals for my fifth graders, and this is kind of, I don't know another way to write an opening number. And you make fun of me for I, it, I that do, my opening numbers are long. Your last opening number was... 30-minute musicals. The yeah, opening number takes like a third of the show. Your last <laughs> opening number was crazy long. It was great. It was like... Five minutes, but out of 30. For a 30-minute musical, that's like 15 minutes for a movie. But you look at, like, In the Heights has a bell opening, Mm -hmm. right? Like, there are... Well, and um, I'd say even, like, Downtown from Little Shop is a bell opening, Mm -hmm. right? Mm Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, that's before... So Howard Howard Ashman has this idea in his head of what an opening number sounds like. But you were going to try to talk about, like, is it people who are inspired by him? I is was that not. Where you were going? I was okay. not going to. I was just going to say this is the pattern now. It's a pattern right? now. Like right. it is a pattern that is more. Not every show starts this way, but I feel like there is more of this in yeah. um, it's a, in it's, musical theater now than there was. It is a very common start to a show mm-hmm. now. It's mm-hmm. like a long song introducing uh, one of the greatest shows I've seen in the last five years. SpongeBob opens yeah. this way. Yeah, that's true. So SpongeBob the <laughs> heralded this great musical theater. We love it. Yeah. But like, yeah. Seriously, it's it's awesome. Yeah. Go watch it. Um Yeah, and the fact that he can write this goofy stuff. I think I think what I love about an Ashman lyric is mm. that is the range, right? This and he talks about I think I mentioned it earlier or maybe I did it in my head. This uh you have to have a specificity like so that you're not just singing about anything. It is right. Ariel singing about the treasures in her grotto. But it's about something bigger. The song's not just about that. And I think he does a really good job of bringing his specificity in different ways, right? Mm. In part of your world, it's, I've got gadgets and gizmos with plenty. I've got who's it's... Like, she's naming the things in yeah. her trove. And she's talking about feet and dancing and, you know, these specific things. And in Gaston, it's, you know, quiver and liver and darts and his chest hair and how many eggs he eats. It's a like, lot. That's really goofy. Mm-hmm. And then in Beauty and the Beast, you're talking about 
you know, these things that are as natural as the sun rising in the east. And it is still somehow specific, even yeah. though it's this bigger moment. And so it's just, I can't, obviously I'm, I'm no Ashman. I can't put it into words, right. but it's this versatility, I guess, that he can zoom in and out as far as he needs to, and he can still get that exact, you know that you're in, there's no confusing it with another moment or another movie. Right. The way that we we sometimes harp on some newer uh, musical theater writers for doing. Right. It, one thing that I think is, is really interesting, um, you mentioned specificity, which I think that's a great way of putting it, right? But also, he has a great sense of setting with mm. each of his songs. Mm. Like, with, with Ariel's song... It starts, or with Ariel's song, uh, with Part of Your World, it starts like very quiet and very I'm in my room, kind of wistful, right? Mm -hmm. And she is in her room and wistful. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, Under the Sea, like obviously it's Under the Sea, but, uh, you know, Sebastian's calling out the different fish that are around. Belle, it's in a, you know, bustling town in the morning mm -hmm. so there's a bunch of people talking and you really get a feel for where you're at just mm -hmm. by like if i was hearing that in a different language mm -hmm. right i think i still might get that i still might get um i still might get that sense of setting mm -hmm. uh, i can't remember is one jump his or is that tim rice doing in it Howard impression. One jump is Tim Rice doing a Howard impression. Right. Um, but a pretty good one, I a think. Really, a really good one. I so love One Jump. in Aladdin, what stays is some of the Arabian Nights lyrics. Because mm -hmm. um, they had uh, initially... Ashman had written uh, some some skeleton of a treatment. He wrote Aladdin. He wrote, well... He, he wrote a version of Aladdin. He wrote Aladdin. a version of Aladdin. And then the story underwent giant, like, right. obliterating changes. And then... What, they and moved then, to Beauty and the Beast, they, mm -hmm. and then Aladdin got made. And so what survives of Ashman's in the movie are some Arabian Nights um, and then the genie music. So yeah. uh, Friend Like Me and Prince Ali are fully Ashman, um, and then everything else is Tim Rice. Which, again, like, you can tell when it's Ashman for sure. Mm -hmm. Because uh, Friend Like Me and Prince Ali um, just... One, so many words. Yes. Two, doesn't seem like so many. Like, it doesn't seem that complicated. And that's that's the really interesting thing is, like, you listen to it and you're like, oh, yeah, it's it's it's, uh, it's Prince Ali. Prince yeah. Ali, da-da-da-dee, da-da-da-ba-ba, whatever. It's not that complicated. And then you look at it and it's like, oh, oh, he's doing a lot of different things here. He's cramming a thousand words in. Well, and just doing uh, really clever rhymes, doing really clever uh, turns of phrase, and, and writing, again, for not only multiple characters, but one character to play multiple characters. Right, right. Um, and like going back to what you said about the sense of setting, um, this song is showing off Prince Ali in this giant parade that is overstuffed with more <sighs> things than you could ever imagine a parade having. And mm -hmm. so it's just a bunch of lists of yeah. these it's an wild song. things, right? Yeah. And um, 
I've probably mentioned on the podcast before uh, the musical my fifth graders did this year was a kid's version of Aladdin. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dig, I was telling you that when we're learning Prince Ali, which is like they keep a lot of Prince Ali and it's a lot for fifth graders, but <laughs> right? It's, it's a lot this, for anyone. It's this last, um, where, uh, I'm trying to find the real version because now I've forgotten. Yeah. With 60 elephants, llamas galore, with his bears and lions and brass band and more, with his 40 fakers, his cooks and bakers, his birds at wire balloon key, make way. For Prince, we took an entire... Can you, can you do that again, but just say it? Yeah, just sure. Just say, say it at like a normal, with normal speed? With 60 elephants, llamas galore, with his bears and lions, a brass band and more, with his 40 fakirs, it's fakirs, but he changes the rhyme, this uh, his cooks, his bakers, his birds that warble on key. Birds that warble on key. Whew. Wild, right? That's so hard. Like... It's this goofy specificity that he can find a rhyme for it. Yeah. And it's going to be a little goofy, but it works. He's not going to do that in Beauty and the Beast. No. But he does it here. It, I'm telling you, it, my fifth graders are champions. Like, they're, they're great performers. <laughs> and we had, like, run this song before. They had learned it all. Yeah. But to memorize these, it is one, two, three. It is six lines here in the lyric and version that I have. And that's an ensemble song, right? That's an ensemble song. It took us an entire 25-minute like rehearsal period during a lunch recess <laughs> to not only sing all the words in the right order, but then yeah. memorize it. And we would just go one line at a time with 60 elephants, llamas galore. Okay, great. Do it four times. All right. Next line with bears and lions. And bre- like, great. Now do the two lines together four times. Yeah. It's just, it is a tongue twister, but it's like, right. It's six lines and like, 10 different ideas in those six lines. And like once you like looking at it, I'm like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Like, can I say it? Can I say it back to you right now? But, but I understand it. But I will say that once you have it, it's similar to um, like the process that I felt like learning Hamilton, right? Mm. Where like once you have it, because this text setting or prosody in a musical geek term um, is so good you can't, you can't get it wrong. Like you can forget words, <laughs> but you're not going to put the words in the wrong place. Right. There's only one place for each of those they, words they and syllables to go. be. Yeah. And so once you have it, you can sing it. It's not impossible. Right. But and that's just how good. Uh, it's so um, good. Let me so good. let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. Why does Howard Ashman love lists so much? He it's, loves lists. It's interesting, right? Yeah. I was um I listened to his musical Smile mm. today or at least like what's left of it. <laughs> Based on of course the movie Smile. Based on the movie Smile. That everyone's familiar with. Uh, about beauty pageants. Um it's the one Broadway show Ashman did. Like he did a bunch off Broadway, but the one show he got to Broadway, mm. I suppose in his lifetime, um is Smile and um yeah, I'm listening to it. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is like a Disney movie that I forgot about <laughs> or something. Like the lyrics are, he has such a style yeah. where like it, there's, um you know, uh, a song where the contestants, it's like the night before and they're listing off all their like anxieties and like, oh, my stomach hurts and my eyes are puffy. And it's just this quick list. And, you yeah. know, it's characters going back and forth. So it's not one person with a list, but it's one person, Howard Ashman, writing that list. So like his brain just works like yeah. I feel I feel like 
I feel like for like Little Mermaid, mm-hmm. he just like got like a big book of fish and just sat down and he's like, okay, cool. Uh, uh, this fish rhymes with this instrument. Yeah, and this, <laughs> this, yeah, exactly. Uh, the bass plays the brass. Uh-huh. Great. Okay. Ooh, the dace uh, can play the bass. Yeah. The fluke. Hmm. Like, yeah. It is. Like, he's just, he's sitting there with a list of fish and just figuring it out. I think you've seen with me whatever feature we're watching where um, Ron and John, uh, John Musker and Ron, Ron Clements, Clements are like um, remembering that moment like 20 years later when they're like, oh yeah, and then under the sea and they're like listing out the lyrics and like trying to keep each other on the beat and like. Okay, so the, the the Lou plays the flute, the brass plays the like, right? Like they went through that yeah. process that my Aladdin kids did of like just it's memorizing so them one by one, yeah. <laughs> and it's really funny to watch them say it back. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, you had mentioned Little Shop a little I bit earlier. Did mention today. Little Shop. Let's let's talk a little bit about Little Shop. Yes. L- little bit about Little Shop. No, no, I don't have the prosody. Or the scansion. D- uh, yeah, that's right. Scansion, prosody, tech setting, it's all the uh, same family. Yeah. Uh, Dick, tell us about Little Shop, because I feel like you uh Yeah, interesting... so I'm, I'm, like a, I'm a huge fan. I th- we're both huge fans of the, of the musical Little Shop of Horrors. Um, bigger fans of different incarnations of it, but we'll get into mm. that. Um, yeah, like uh, Little Shop, it's interesting. I think... Little Shop, I think they mentioned it in the uh, documentary. Howard. Howard. Not Mr. Ashman. I think Mr. Ashman mentioned it in Howard <laughs> that, um, or no, it was, uh, it was Ebert. It was, mm. it, was, it was Ebert's review. He's like, Little Shop of Horrors is doing what no other film has been able to do, which is uh, capture that Rocky Horror Picture mm. Show energy, mm-hmm. where it's like weird... And like just everything a musical shouldn't be, hmm. um, and it's just so good. If that makes sense, and it has a similar trajectory to Rocky Horror mm-hmm. in that it's off Broadway, like off off Broadway first. Yeah, like super far off Broadway. I think like eighty eighty one, I think is when it's off Broadway. Okay. Um, and then. The, the Ebert quote is referencing the movie that the movie, was made right. in late 80s somewhere. Right. Um, yeah. But and yeah. Go mm-hmm. ahead. It sounded like you had more to say. Okay. This is his first collaboration with Alan Menken. This is how they um, start writing together. Um, Alan Menken gets recommended for this project. Uh, Howard Ashman sees this like, weird B movie from the fifties called Little Shop Around the Corner. And it's like a right? Isn't it Little Shop Around Nope. It's called Little Shop of Horrors? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, that's that's you've got mail, right? Little Shop Around the Corner. I don't know. Anyway. Anyway, he sees it and it's like what would you call it? you've seen the original movie, right? Yeah. Um it's it's a spoof of kind of fifties um sci fi. Um, it's not that funny unless you've watched a lot of 50s sci-fi, mm. which like I only have through, like I've watched a couple through because of my dad, but mainly I've watched it like with Mystery Science Theater 3000, who do a very good job of sending those movies up. 
So it's just, it's kind of like, it doesn't hold up unless you know all of the like, source material that it is mocking. I would not recommend anyone watch it. Um, but it's, yeah, it's a spoof of a certain type of movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to like then take that and kind of continue spoofing 50s sci-fi while also like a little bit spoofing musicals. Mm-hmm. Um, really, really cool. Really clever. I was reading uh, a review, I think New York Times, of the documentary Howard, and they, when they mention Little Shop, the term they use for it is astonishingly durable <laughs> um, as a musical, and I love that yeah. because it really, it's great. Um, and so this is Mencken and Ashman's first collaboration, and it sounds like a nuts idea, this like 50s movie that, like you said, like, isn't really that great unless you are really steeped in the culture around it. And it seems like a really bad idea for a musical, but it works really well. And one of the reasons, like one of the keys to unlocking it came from Howard Ashman, where they had tried kind of writing a couple songs in various styles. And he's like, no, 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 let's go with like, like rock and roll, doo-wop type. And let's have that be kind of our, conceit for this show at mm-hmm. least the music and in the documentary Mencken credits that as like well that's how I think about musical theater now when I sit down to write a show yeah. is you know what's the overarching musical style of this and then I can go from there and I thought that was really interesting because you know they, they talk about all the time that Howard is you know lyrics are like where he feels the most at home but he's really interested in this bigger picture stuff in the book and also the music. Well, he even, he didn't originally, he was not originally a lyricist. No. And even for Little Shop, right, Mencken, uh, uh, like Ashman was hired on as the book writer mm-hmm. and lyricist. But Mencken was like, well, I'm a lyricist. so Yeah, I'll I'm teach, a musician and a I'll lyricist. Teach, I'll teach him how to do this. Yeah. But like Mencken, then he quickly realized, <laughs> yeah, where Ashman's thought nope. is like, well, if I'm writing all of the dialogue, why am I not writing the parts of the dialogue that they happen to be singing? Right, right. Which makes a lot of sense. It does, right. absolutely. But he also had these very strong musical ideas about things, right? Mm-hmm. He was, he not only does he take Little Shop and say this is a doo-wop rock and roll music musical, and that works really well for the tongue-in-cheek style. And it works very well to contrast this literally a man-eating plant on the stage where it's like it has the potential to be super gory. And in some parts it is, is, but it's all it's played for laughs and it's played Mm -hmm. for like this kind of over the top B-movie cult like um, in that same style of Rocky Horror where it's campy. Yeah. Um, And the music supports that in a in really cool ways same thing when you go to Little Mermaid and Sebastian is originally supposed to be um, a stuffy British uh, conductor and uh, Ashman says well what if he's Jamaican and then the whole score of the movie comes out of that like Calypso Mm -hmm. vibe and it's just really neat how Ashman had such a clear vision of you know if we can get the musical style right And one thing that I have 
noticed as I've been listening to, you know, Ashman's writing, you know, he did some songwriting on his own and, uh, you know, listening to Smile and having this vast Mencken Ashman kind of library jarred mm-hmm. in my head um, is that it, it all sounds um, like it's written by the same people. Uh, which makes me wonder uh, how much Mencken is a composer on these early movies and how much he is transcribing what Howard's singing. He's like, well, then the, 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 this part needs to go do 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 And Alan just finds the keys on the piano, right? Like, that's, that's something I was thinking about, too, is, um, like, one, Mencken doesn't appear a lot in this documentary. No. Um, I, and it doesn't see, like... It seems like he loved Howard very much, mm-hmm. and also he didn't like working with him uh, all the time. I don't know that... I, I'm not sure that that's the read that I got. Well, he, he did say that, that like, especially towards the end, Howard would just, like, make him break down crying, trying to get the songs right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, he, like, I'm threw a say- Walkman against a wall. Yeah, no, I that's I am in bad. no way saying that he didn't like him. I'm not casting aspersions on their relationship. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But I just I get the feeling that he was not always the best guy to work with. Sure. Um, and uh, Mencken, or and uh, uh, yeah, Mencken said that once they won their Oscar, mm-hmm. like after they won their Oscar for uh, Little Mermaid. Mermaid, the next day, mm-hmm. Howard uh, told him that uh, to, Howard told Mencken. Mm-hmm. That he had AIDS and he was dying. Mm-hmm. And he was kind of like, I know you're taken care of now. I know you're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And it's just interesting to me that it's like, well, no, this is Alan Menken. He's he's mm-hmm. a great composer. He's made all these songs. Mm-hmm. But also, like, it, I mean, like, it's, like I've heard Gallivant. I've heard... Uh, so Alan Menken, not in this documentary, but Alan Menken says this much as well. Yeah. That he's like, after Howard died, I was pretty sure my career was over. Yeah. I didn't know if I'd be able to have the same inspiration writing with anyone else. Um, and and Howard was correct that because he had established himself at Disney with these three solid movies that yeah. Howard um, assisted with... He like I I I love Mencken Schwartz collaborations. I mm-hmm. think that's in the same vein. I think Tim Rice does a great job in Aladdin, and I think Tim Rice does a great job in Lion King too. Like he he seems of the same school of lyrical thought of right. Ashman. Like no one, it just seems like no one is even in Ashman's stratosphere in terms of like just prolificness and, and what he's what he wants to do. Yeah, yeah and his vision, but. They they get some good collaborators for a while and and yeah I've I've heard Gallivant I uh, I mean it exists it exists <laughs> um, but yeah and and that's not to that's not to say that Mencken's not great I I've also heard Compass of Your Heart right right I've also heard uh, plenty of things that he's done without without Howard Ashman mm-hmm. that that are that are very good uh, mm-hmm. Tangled right yeah like but it's it seems clear that. Like you said, uh, Howard Ashman was pulling most of the strings, mm-hmm. right? It was or doing... unlocking something, yeah. right? Like, I feel like even, you know, when I look at Tangled, and I like a lot of the songs in Tangled, they're just a different kind of genre than mm-hmm. 
then Mencken's other stuff, which he does Mermaid through Hercules, right, of the Renaissance. Yeah. And this is just in a different kind of zone. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I look at some of the, you know, again, like wanting to write musicals myself and writing musicals for my fifth graders, I'm constantly going back to like, all right, how can I change this up so it's not just four lines of equal meter where right. two of the lines rhyme with each other and the other two lines of the, you know, rhyme yeah. with them. Yeah, A-A-B-B or A-B-A-B. And I look back and like I go to like Bell, right? And I'm trying to find it now to be able to quote it. But like this this cool rhyme scheme of, right? Look, there she goes. The girl is strange, no question. Dazed and distracted, can't you tell? Never part of any crowd, because her head's upon some cloud. No denying she's a funny girl, that bell, right? Yeah. So, like, the rhymes are in not necessarily unexpected places if you have any kind of, like, familiarity with poetry. Sure. But they're not that A-B-A-B. They're not. And they're different lengths, and they're different. And I feel like that's a little bit... I'm sure I could find an example just like that entangled, but... Sure. I I wonder how much kind of whatever like meter or variety of rhythms that Howard was throwing out inspired Ashman to be like, okay, here's what can go under that. And as opposed to Mencken going first or him having a lyric that's a little bit more vanilla, for lack of a better term. And and I think that's, you know, you get you get your inspiration from different places. Mm -hmm. Right. And like, uh. I was I was been writing a song, and I've I'm writing to a pre-recorded drum track mm-hmm. that I did not create, which has made me like kind of a collaborator with this with whoever recorded this drum track, right? Mm-hmm. Because they've got like these certain cymbal crashes, and I'm like, well, I've got to do something on the guitar to accent with these cymbal crashes mm-hmm. and things like that, and that's like someone that's not in the room, and like. I can't even imagine with someone like Howard Ashman just mm-hmm. being like, and like even we, we, we see him in the documentary a little bit and we've heard, you know, you have um, uh, those CDs where there's, there's some of their like work sessions, yeah. right? Or some of their, and Ashman will just be like, it needs a bum bum. And Michael will be like, bum bum. Like, yeah. Uh-huh. And then it just changes the song forever. Yeah. Right. You you wonder how dangerous Howard could have been if he did know how to play an instrument. <laughs> like he just yeah. wouldn't have needed anyone else, right? Yeah, it's, it's it's interesting he did not. Yeah. Right. Like for all the musical influence, or the, all the influence he had over the music he was working with. Yeah. Um, you you were mentioning earlier, uh, and maybe we've already kind of covered it. Uh, one of the, one of the things. That's interesting about Ashman is he's worked with basically Mencken his whole life, but also like his his whole like major career is like Mencken, the Mencken, Mencken, he's Mencken, most Mencken, Mencken for, for sure. And one with Marvin Hamlish, yeah. And that collaboration did not go well at all. So interestingly, um, that is mostly because of the book. Mm. Like I'm listening to the songs and I'm like, oh, these are good. Marvin Hamlish does chorus line, so it's kind of like a Chorus line meets what you think of as a Mencken Ashman score, like, sure. um, and like, oh, this music is pretty fun, and this, like, okay, I can see how this song is a little bit off, or like, I don't really know what's happening. And then I go to like Wikipedia and read the plot summary. I'm like, <laughs> what? How is this music happening in this? There's like, it's way too complicated, and like, 
it's not really about anything. Sure. Um, and so, you know, and I know that it, it worked really well, like, off-off Broadway and when they went to Broadway. Th- there's a lot of talk in the documentary about how Howard's projects worked really well in kind of these black box theaters. Mm-hmm. And then when you tried to scale them up into these bigger productions, it lost something of its character. And yeah. so it didn't work or it didn't get well-received. Smile, really well-received off-off Broadway. And then once it gets to Broadway, it it flops. People hate it. Um but there's some great material in it. There's particularly... I thought that was God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater. Both. So Both did. Okay. God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater, they did not do a Broadway transfer because they just said no. They just transferred to a bigger was, theater. was pissed. Yeah. yeah. Got it. Um, and I think... Yeah, now I'm getting the two confused because there was one where they said no and like they pushed on anyway and that might have been Smile. Yeah, I think Smile they, they pushed on anyway. Yeah. But he also like... Even despite that, uh, Howard said that the team was not right. great. Right. Right. Which I'm kind of wondering if it's, well, Marvin Hamlish is established. Mm-hmm. So he's in control. Right. Uh, whereas, like, um, oh my God. Howard Ashman? Thank you. The no, man we're talking the about? Other guy. Alan Menken. Alan Menken is a, is maybe a little more um, willing to bend to whatever Howard Ashman mm-hmm. wishes. So that made it a better collaboration for sure. him. Where, like, you get two guys butting heads, it's not as good. Uh, I'll say it before, and I've said it. Uh, I, no, wait. I have said it before, and I'll say I it again. I said what I meant. I meant what I said, and I meant what I said. Uh, <laughs> my. my uh, who do you host for a dinner party, dead or yep. alive, is Howard Ashman yep. and Lin-Manuel Miranda. I don't need to be in the room. Uh, that's, uh, they can decide, right? They should just hang out. But it's that same idea, right? Because Lin's projects are very, Lin writes everything. Mm-hmm. Um, he has um, Chiara uh, Hudes, or Aleg- yeah, Alegria Hudes on as a book writer and lyrics on um, In the Heights, mm-hmm. but he's... More of a, like, more than just the composer of that. Right. And then Hamilton, it is him, and Alex Lacamoire is kind of the Alan Menken, like, uh, write, write that down, Alex, so that yeah. other people can read it for instruments, right? Yeah. And, and it's very evident in something like Hamilton, and, you know, you can have all the conversations on how it fits into the world right now, but it is a very, it is a project with a singular vision and it doesn't lose that. And so it feels very cohesive. It feels very strong as like a piece, right? And I, I feel like Howard is most successful when he's allowed to kind of just be the boss. And he's yeah. got this cabinet, right? Under That's how Miranda describes his team. He's got this cabinet, but he, he, he essentially kind of has, uh, you know, first and last yeah. read over everything. Um, and I think this gets into on both Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast. He's credited as um, a producer as well, and he's very heavily involved with the book of both of these yeah. films. This was a, That was a beautiful transition oh. to talking about the book. Uh-oh. You've got one more thing. I'm going to ruin it because <laughs> I want to go, go back uh, to talking about um, how his musicals didn't transfer to a bigger house. Mm. Mm-hmm. And... I think one of the reasons a show does not work as well 
uh, in a big house. Not not all shows, but mm-hmm. why some shows will work better in a small house than a big mm-hmm. house um, is the intimacy, mm-hmm. right? Being able to be like right up close to the actor, being able to get more nuanced, mm-hmm. you know, stuff that that once it's bigger and broader, it's like mm-hmm. it doesn't work quite as well. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking about that in terms of Disney Broadway. Mm-hmm. And also Disney movies. Like, because one, uh, when you're watching Ariel in her grotto, mm-hmm. you are right up there next to her. Her face takes up the whole screen. Yeah. That's, Even if you're in a theater with a thousand other people, it reproduces that intimacy. You've absolutely. got that intimacy. Mm-hmm. But also, the most successful uh, Disney Broadway adaptation has been Lion King, mm-hmm. which is. Uh, the music is written by a man that is used to writing music to fill arenas. Yeah. And I wonder how much of that, like... Also Lebo. Also Lebo, but but you know what I'm saying. But also, like, like he writes for South African choirs, who right. are like these wall of sound Like, Lebo writes for these choirs, Elton John plays to arenas. Right. He's not going to write a song that doesn't work in an arena. Mm-hmm. That's It just wouldn't make sense for him yeah. to do... I wonder how much of the Lion King's long-lasting success on Broadway has to do with that kind of like, this is a pop song meant to fill a room mm-hmm. versus this is a intimate uh, song meant to make you think or feel something. Like, do you think, <laughs> sorry, yeah, no, it's do you an think interesting... Little Mermaid would work better off-Broadway? It's an interesting concept, right? Because now all of the Ashman musicals have been on Broadway. Beauty yep. and the Beast was first. Um, Aladdin is still running. Little Mermaid was the least successful of the three. Um, and I, I wonder, because I don't think there's anything inherently, right? Like Smile and Little Shop are both a little bit campier, a little bit more like quirky. Yeah. Whereas, I mean... Just even content aside, just by way of these have all made hundreds of millions of dollars in the box office, they're just bigger and more beloved, and you've already won the house over Mm -hmm. once they've bought the seats. Like, no one is buying seats to Beauty and the Beast being like, hmm, I wonder what this is going to be. This sounds interesting. (laughs) Disney, are they new? Disney? Um, So I think that's, that's set aside, but I do think, like, I've seen Beauty and the, I've seen a high school production of the full Beauty and the Beast musical, sure. and I enjoyed it for what it was. Like I don't think it didn't work in the way that I think um, maybe some bigger productions of like like I've seen Little Shop in an outdoor theater, mm-hmm. uh, uh, London's kind of Delacorte, <laughs> um, Regent's Open Air, and it didn't it didn't super play. Um, there were some parts of it that I really liked, but yeah, the the most recent. Revival of a Little Shop that went up and got cut short by the pandemic. Which we had tickets for. We had tickets for, good damn it, Jeremy Jordan, um, was in was in like a black box theater, like a 200 max capacity. Mm. And a lot of the reviews were saying like, yes, this is the way that Little Shop needs to be seen. This is one of the most successful revivals we've seen of this show because it understands what it was written for. Yeah. Like part of the joke is that like the big lug song is sung like on a dumpster, basically, right. right? Right. Part that's part of the joke is mm-hmm. that 
we're in a shitty area. Yeah. And we're still singing these like beautiful love songs. To me, the the lack of like transfer of Ashman's for the stage musical mm-hmm. has more to do with something else we talk about on this show, which is just transfer of media, transfer of medium. Um, and, but then cartoon to stage is a, but I mean, no, but I, Ashman would be one to tell you and he, yeah. we've seen in a documentary, I've seen in other interviews that he's like, uh, animation, he said this in 88, animation might be the last place for the American musical yeah. to be because I've seen you know a lot of different explanations, but they both have a similar suspension of disbelief, right? People don't break into song in real life to express what they want, but also uh, people aren't two-dimensional drawn uh, mermaids, right? right? Like you have to suspend all the disbelief, so why not be singing? Yeah. Um, and so I think there's a and the way that Disney animators kind of that style that they have is very epic. I think of that. Beauty and the Beast ballroom scene, like, of course that can be on a stage, right? Even though there's only one character who's a teapot singing it. Sure. That song fills up the stage because the scene fills up the stage. The, the, yeah, it, it can, mm-hmm. but also you're missing some of the, the grandeur. You're missing the sweeping in. You're missing that. Yeah. Oh, sure. Close Absolutely. up on Mrs. Potts, you know, the, that little... Off to the cupboard with you now, Chip. Right. Like, you're missing that intimacy. And, uh, yeah, I agree with that. Which you don't, like... And I'd, I'd rather see... I don't see... miss the intimacy of, uh, I'm going to be a mighty king, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they there are tender... Yeah, I mean, Lion King is more bombastic in general. And can You Feel the Love Tonight isn't even sung by characters. No, that's true. That's interesting. Circle I... of Life isn't sung by characters. But I wouldn't say that... <coughs> that the Ashman Disney doesn't work on a stage. No, I'm just just positing. Right? Like, it was a weird cast, but I liked what The Little Mermaid Live did with The Little Mermaid, and mm. that was a bigger stage than not. I mean, it was still on our TV screen with camera yeah. shots, but, like, I think I would have liked to be in that audience, right? Like, It was also fairly campy, which was great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and I think you need to be, like... I, yeah, dress up someone as a candle. Like, yo, like, do not make that representational. Just dress them up as a candle, yeah. please. Um, <coughs> yeah. Okay, That's let's talk about book. Let's <laughs> that was my transition into talking about book. What'd you think? But that wasn't, we're not really talking about music. We're talking about the, the broader picture, like we what are. he did. Um, and, and maybe it's, you know, maybe it's, creative control that he's writing for these these genres of suspended disbelief that it can be as big or small as you want it to be right we watched um also last week a conversation between Mencken and Lin-Manuel Miranda yeah um and Lin mentioned that you know when you're writing for animation the way he did in Moana like you can just be really creative. Like, oh, I think this uh, tattoo wants to do a tap dance. Can we do that? Yep, we can do that. Yeah, it's animation. Yeah. Um, and so I wonder if, you know, Howard was able, Ashman, was able to do some things for his animated musicals that he couldn't do as much in um, mm. in the stage. Although, I don't know, like a man-eating plant is kind of as big and weird though, as you get. Though he did say one thing that he liked about animation is like... Uh, 
once you direct once you directed someone it was that way permanent right right like yeah if if you want uh ariel to blink in this exact moment mm-hmm. she'll do it and she'll do it that way every single time there i i feel like that's another um one-to-one with sondheim that like I, I, howard ashman knows the performance he wants and he wants that performance yeah. only. Was <laughs> like, it Jody exclusively. Benson that we were um, was talking about um, about performing for for Ashman mm-hmm. and like auditioning, mm-hmm. and he was like coaching her and directing her, and eventually, like she's like, "Please just give me the line." I've read. done this twenty five times because you know what you. you want, and yeah. I don't yet. Yeah, and like. That's like for for an actor. I was an actor for a while. I, I took a bunch of acting classes. You, you a, a director should never give you a line read, Mm-mm. and it's just it's considered like the height of of faux pas, right. I guess. Right? It's just it's disrespectful. It's to disrespectful your actor, to your yeah. craft. It's like no, do this. Like do do it like this. I'm gonna say it, and then you repeat it back at me. Mm-hmm. You imitate me. That mm-hmm. it's like it's disrespecting the craft. But for someone to just be like one to respect someone enough to be like, please give me a line read, because mm-hmm. uh, she had worked with them before. Yes. Um, but two, just to just to be like, no, you specifically know what you want. Please just give it to me. It's just fascinating. Yeah, no. and it's you know kind of going back to him kind of having this overarching he like he knows the whole thing right like everyone else just kind of works for Howard on these movies even though he's not technically the director he has he has this vision and he's very hands-on about what he wants and I I, I, disrespecting the craft and not letting everyone bring their own contributions aside I, I do think there's something to be said for having a singular vision. We've seen that like, like that's one thing that like really works about Pixar movies is Mm -hmm. that they usually just have one director and uh, it's, it's that person's vision. Um, And I think it's what makes these early Renaissance movies so tight is that you did have someone who's like, no, I'm going to be kind of an asshole about this because I've, I've figured out what's going to work and we just need to enact that, right? We need mm-hmm. to execute that. Um, he's credited with some big moments in the movies that he works on. Yeah, yeah, some non-musical moments. Yeah, yeah. We've we've talked about in our episode on Little Mermaid. Absolutely, we did. We, <laughs> that he was instrumental. Our first in, episode. That was our very first episode. Oh, you might not have heard that. You, you don't uh, need to go back and listen to it. The audio quality quality. is terrible. Um. He is kind of credited with humanizing the characters of both Sebastian and Triton Mm -hmm. and going back to and basically giving them line reads. Right. He he wrote the how much I'm going to miss her. Yeah, there's 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 only what what there's only one thing I regret how much I'm going to miss her. Or something yeah, like that. something like it. Yeah, I like that. We don't know the line right now, but but it's a gorgeous line. And that's Ashman, who is not the. Like not a, not, not the credited story writer, right. screenwriter, right? Um, the other one is uh, Sebastian's. You need to get back under the sea, undo this curse, and then be miserable for the rest of your life. Like yes. once he sees Ariel's face just fall, yeah, 
and those those moments, right? It's so easy for those those two characters who are in kind of direct opposition to Ariel's stated want. It's so easy to make them come off as like stuck up and like out of touch, but those moments round out the characters in a way where you're rooting for everyone collectively and yeah. it's not just Ariel against the world. Yeah, you're like, oh, I'm on Sebastian's side too. I yeah. get it. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it creates that pivot point for Sebastian then to just be team Ariel unapologetically. Yeah. A, a bigger um, story element uh, he contributed to Beauty and the Beast was uh, discovering slash revealing slash telling everyone uh, guys, we're doing this wrong. This is the Beast story. Because mm-hmm. uh, as we've, we said in our beauty episode too, uh, it had a completely different treatment and plot oh uh, before Mencken and Ashman came onto it. It, it was, looks so boring. Yeah, it had started um, treatment writing production during The Little Mermaid or at mm-hmm. the same time. And it was kind of a a little bit of a Hail Mary situation because it was just not working at all. Like, oh, bring the Little Mermaid guys onto this. They'll fix it. They, they'll fix it the way they did Mermaid. and It worked. Yeah, it did work. <laughs> um, but that's one of the things that he's like, it's the Beast story because he's the one that changes. Yeah. And um, it's it's documented and maybe not completely substantiated. Um, it may be more of a we see what we want to see as the audience, that yeah. the Beast is a little bit of a proxy for what Ashman and his community was going through at that time um, mm-hmm. with the AIDS crisis. Yeah. Um, and that is that is a thread in this documentary that I, I learned more about. Like, yeah. I knew how he died, but, um, you know, there's kind of this, this, this ticking clock from the mid-'80s where, like, his previous long-term boyfriend, uh, you know, gets the diagnosis Mm -hmm. and then it's kind of just a matter of time until Howard is diagnosed and then Mm -hmm. a matter of time um, before he passes right and you know the beast's story of kind of being in this impossible situation with a ticking rose Mm -hmm. right and with um you know an outside world that does not comprehend and does not care to comprehend um his plight why he is different and why this is happening um and so it's it's very interesting to hear you know to hear all people in this documentary talk about like oh it's very clearly an AIDS parallel or oh the like the community the gay community really picked this story up as kind of a signifier Mm -hmm. and then you talk to his sister and she's like yeah I I don't I think that's a bunch of hooey uh but I think just Howard was very empathetic toward anyone and so he could create this like engaging story and engaging character because he just had empathy in life for people and it's it's really interesting and it's something i've i've always been kind of like fascinated by is how much an artist is actually doing that on purpose Mm -hmm. like some absolutely do it on purpose some i think don't some people don't realize what they're what they wrote until they're done with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, I wonder, cause a, we can't ask Howard Ashman. Right. I wonder how much of that was intentional and how much of that was, he's just like, well, I'm like, you, you write what you're feeling, mm-hmm. right? Like zombie movies happen to come out during certain times or horror movies during certain times. Like mm-hmm. there are, there are certain types of movies that do well during certain times mm-hmm. or, people are inspired to do them 
and like i think the 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 aids epidemic uh the early on aids epidemic um was really uh like a source of inspiration both intentionally and unintentionally Mm. for a lot of artists Mm -hmm. And, and i think it would be interesting to to know whether howard ashman was like yeah i'm actually trying to put this in there mm-hmm. or just like just like it seeped into his brain you know the lyric that gets kind of uh you love this lyric pointed to yeah i do you do i know um, i was gonna ask you from about people who it are, if you didn't who are not howard ashman's sister um is the mob song we don't like what we don't understand because it scares us and this monster is mysterious in fact it scares us and this monster is mysterious at least yeah Right? I mean, that can be from anyone's perspective. Mm-hmm. That can be from people saying this is gay cancer and this is punishment. This can also be from the gay community. Like, this this is something mysterious and we can't wrap our minds around it. Yeah. So, you know, there's a, you know, you hear about the interviews of people who worked with him kind of up at near the end where he's just very angry. And then, then like, there's kind of a calm and a peace when yeah. it's more... Toward the the end, the end. But. Yeah, and it it sounds like a lot of that was just people did not know mm-hmm. that he was sick, right? And so there was like a lot of like there were a mm-hmm. lot of requests, like people had to fly from California to record, right? Because the to, timeline to is New that York instead um, of him flying out there, right? Because he was sick and couldn't travel, but they didn't know that, right? And, like, not only is is Howard already, he has the reputation of being hard to work with, but then there's all these, like, kind of what seem like diva demands. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, no, I want an Oscar. You have to come to New York to record, right? Because the timeline is he, he uh, yeah, he tells Alan that of his diagnosis the day after they win the Oscar for mm-hmm. Mermaid. And, the, and then... Because that's that would be ninety. That'd be like February nineteen ninety, mm-hmm. and he is he passes March of ninety one, and Beauty and the Beast comes out Thanksgiving that year. Mm. So he doesn't even get to see Beauty and the Beast get finished. Yeah. He doesn't see Beauty and the Beast get finished. He's like Aladdin is just stuff he wrote, right? Not that's kind like, of shelved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah, Aladdin was was just kind of shelved, mm-hmm. and um. Yeah, so yeah, it's it's just interesting the, the kind of Rorschach that everyone takes. Not only of, you know, lyrics are about this or about that, but just you know what kind of people remember about working with him and like mm-hmm. what that legacy is, which kind of is this wild, right? Is this like <laughs> I was surprised and not surprised that when we popped open Disney Plus because we're like, okay, it's it's finally available. We're watching it day one. It is the first thing on their, yeah. at least on Friday it was, it was the first thing on their like featured menu, kind of the way that like Hamilton was when it came to Disney+. Plus. And it's like, that's wild that this composer who wrote two and a half movies for Disney and died 30 years ago is now getting this documentary mm-hmm. that's top billing on Disney streaming services. Like, he has this impact that, ripples that thunders 30 years later and and to be fair like 
he could be discreet. There, there's an argument for him being the person that saved Disney feature film Absolutely. animation. Absolutely. Like, you can argue uh, him, you can argue Mencken, you can argue Katzenberg, mm-hmm. you can argue Eisner, right? Because they all, like, made the choices to get... But, right. like, he's one of the people that... He's one of the reasons that Disney animation is still around. Mm-hmm. Is because Little Mermaid brought it all back and we were trying to figure out uh in conversations oliver and company he he wrote the lyrics to that first song in oliver and company lyrics to one song in oliver he sure did that was not mentioned in the documentary no that was super weird that it wasn't mentioned (laughs) yeah that like that was his first introduction um so yeah i mean when you think of disney now any you know the big successes that they've had in the last 30 years there, it's Pixar and animated musicals, right? Yeah. And, and before this, there is not a true musical theater piece. And we've, we've talked about this before. But mm-hmm. there's some songs that are kind of musical theater that, you know, um, like You this Can Fly in Peter Pan. Family time. Where, Wait, I'm sorry. Are you talking about before, the, before Little, Little Mermaid? Mermaid. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there are some songs like "You Can Fly," where the you know where the characters are at the end of the song are different than the beginning, but for the most part, it's kind of park and bark songs. And it's not modern musical theater. It's not modern musical theater, and it doesn't have this specificity of setting, right? right. I, I, like we get all the princess songs confused. Like someday my prince will come, and yeah. it, it, I. I can't tell you offhand i have to like think about it to know hey, when Kate, those... what's that song where there's a princess and she's like wants to fall in love she might be like wishing or dreaming about a prince. so wishing actually we know right though i am wishing because it's the echo it's in the well yeah that actually works but yeah someday my okay pr- i was trying i was I trying know. to make I a know. joke and you I ruined know. it no but snow white does have one right is that someday my prince see now i don't know so this is love, and someday my prince will come. And what is Snow White's? It's well, not. I'm I am wishing. wishing. There's another one though, isn't there? Hmm. Anyway, uh, yeah, it's How it's not super specific. <laughs> but we were talking about like, is are we still kind of in the Ashman era? Right. Like, is is Frozen is Frozen a direct descendant of? Is is a continuation of The Little Mermaid and Ashman's right. work, or is it a new phase we've entered? Which it, it kind of feels like it is, right? It is. Which, which one? The new? It's a new or continuation? No, it's it's a it's a continuation of yeah. Ashman's. Yeah, yeah, I would I would agree with that. You know, you have kind of the it, there's the quote unquote like template right of like Happy Village, then an I Want song, then a mm-hmm. villain song, and. In, and they've branched out from there. I think the Lopez's in particular are, are, have kind of expanded that. There's a lot of songs in Frozen, and they all do something slightly different. Mm-hmm. And the I Want song is a little bit later. Um, but it's musical. It's people who work in musical theater writing the music, right? Yeah. Kristen Anderson Lopez, Bobby Lopez, Lin-Manuel Miranda. Um, and they have this sensibility of the song has to go from point A from, to point B. The song has to exist for a reason, right? That... It, you know, speech is not enough, so they have to sing it. Right. Or at least there's some, you know, diegetic reason for that to happen in the song. Right. And yeah, I don't think we've necessarily entered something new. I think there's kind of theme and variation on Ashman's form, but 
he and he and Mencken as a team set up this template that it, it really doesn't need a whole lot of tweaking, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> and and Lynn uh, and the Lopez's are. Mm-hmm. I mean, they grew up on... Right. That's the other thing, Mencken, that now it's yeah. just a... Yeah, Mencken and Ashman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've seen them in conversation with Mencken. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, like, Lynn's a big fan of literally yes. everything. Um, but the, the Lopez's seem to be a very big fan of, of, of that music as well. So mm-hmm. it's it's really interesting to to kind of see that continuation and evolution. I... I think it'll be interesting um, to see if there's if there's something new mm-hmm. that that comes around, right? Because like the only other thing I can think of that is musically different than early Disney movies mm-hmm. is like the soundtrack movie, like um, like a Happy Feet. Or a Cars, mm, mm-hmm. where it's like, hey, we just we, like the jukebox musical, mm-hmm. right? Like that's the that's kind of the other form mm-hmm. that I feel like musical animation takes. Mm-hmm. But there's not like I don't know, it'll just it'll be interesting to see if if something else comes, right? Yeah. And it'll evolve with musical theater, right? Like mm-hmm. it kind of has already um, the early musicals, res- the early animated musicals resembled what was going on on the stage right. on this time and kind of Ashman brought us up to the, like <laughs> we were maybe a little bit behind already uh, yeah. in Disney animation and he just kind of brought us up to the future and it's been evolving since. Um, but like, but man, what, like I, I go back to that phrase, astonishingly durable. Mm-hmm. And that's what these, these scores are and the yep. films in general, like the storytelling it's, you know, is it the is it the you know the thing that speaks to our time now? Maybe not as much. Um, certainly, our time now is pretty specific. Our time now is pretty specific. <laughs> and like you know, one thing I wonder about, and this um, like listening to like I think in one of the liner notes of the um, kind of the musical demo album that I have from you um, that Alan Menken writes about under the sea. He's like, oh, we created a new Calypso. I'm like, ooh, no, let's not say that, right? Like, that's the one thing that I'm not sure where, you know, had Ashman beaten AIDS or not gotten that diagnosis. Um, Because there's a song in Smile 2 where it's like a a Mexican-American contestant and it's very accented and very... And I'm... Without seeing the show, I don't know whether it's a little bit of a twist on, like, she is kind of playing that character for the judges, right. as opposed to just that's how they're treating the Mexican-American character. But there's a little bit of, like, a, I, 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 I don't know uh, what kind of lane Ashman would have ended up in by 2020, right. um, whether he would kind of be a, like, well, he, you know, he was great for an era, but... A lot, a lot of our favorites end up yeah. being... Problematic yeah, faves. Ab- absolutely. So. Um, and, you know, no one's immune to that. And so I think one of the reasons that they are astonishingly durable is that he just didn't, right? Like, yeah. you die a hero or live long enough to become a villain, and he Ooh. died a hero. Like Batman. Uh, did Batman die in that movie? Yes. <laughs> in Little Mermaid. In Little Mermaid. Yeah, he, Got it. 
He drowns in the f- opening scene. You have to look for it. But Kate, great. Kate, yeah. I think it's time. I think it's time for too. The final cut. Yeah. Which we're gonna kind of do in yeah. a weird way. We we've done a lot of different things today. So, but we are gonna try to stick to these segments in one form or another. Yes. When we do two animated movies, our first final cut segment is scene shout out. Yeah. Where we shout out a scene from each movie. But I think uh, we can shout out an Ashman scene from any animated movie we'd like. Is okay. that is that how we can sure. frame this? Sure. Okay, great. You first. Awesome. Absolutely. Um, I am going to shout out the scene, Something There, from Beauty and the Beast. Uh, originally, they had put humans again in that place. Mm. Um, a song they fully wrote, a nine-minute number, longer than Bell. It's a long song. It's a long song. Um, it ends up getting cut as they kind of do some story things, and something there is the song that they write in its place. Mm. In the Broadway version and extended editions of the movie, both songs are there. Um, but something there does a, a lot of cool things, and it is like it is not the most it's a song I forget that's in Beauty and the Beast but it is impossible for that movie to be as good without it right yeah. like it's an impossible scene to cut or edit it's it doesn't have the sweeping ballroom thing it doesn't have this wild back and forth of Belle it doesn't have dancing dishes but it is it is a pivot point of the plot and for them for Ashman and Mencken to have put in so much condensed plot without making it feel contrived Mm -hmm. and really seeing some human relationship building between Belle and the Beast in that song. Brilliant. And then you look at the structure of it that it's the kind of very, very traditional A-A-B-A format, right? Um, Where you have the same musical theme two times and you have a different musical theme and then it comes back. And this song is neat because when the musical theme comes back, it's the um, it's the objects talking. Da 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 da. da. And who would have guessed they come together on their own, right? Like Belle has a line, Beast has version, but the B section is in this is going back to a theme from Belle. Mm-hmm. Oh, isn't this amazing? And it's beautiful because it's the same like just intrinsic passion she has for reading and for books and stories is now being transferred to this like to this relationship that she's like oh isn't this amazing now and it's just beautifully done and you can't believe that that's not the first thing that they decided to do with that scene right it's just it's the power of editing too and rewrites is like you can come up with a scene like that when another one doesn't work just mm. and that um that same musical theme is uh, carried on into the transformation score. Yeah. It's just all, it's all over the movie in it, really. Mm-hmm. It's really beautiful. Mm. No. Yeah. All right, Dick, Man, you got a scene shout out? Not as good as that one. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, look. Can you hand me that lyric book? Sure. Please. Who? This is going to be some live on air. Do you want book. me to just start listing some songs? Because I can do that. Uh, sure. List some songs while I wait. In, in tribute to Howard Ashman, list some stuff. 
Well, there's fathoms below and part of your world and <laughs> under the sea okay, too. that's weird. And uh, poor unfortunate souls. Uh, Le poisson. Kiss the girl. Oh, you lost a page of that book. That's okay. Um, prologue. Belle. Belle uh-huh. reprise. Gaston. Gaston right. reprise. Uh, Gaston is is the thing I'm calling Great. out, of course. Uh, <clears throat> no one's been like Gaston. Mm-hmm. A kingpin mm-hmm. like Gaston. No one's got a swell cleft in his chin like Gaston. There, there are... Up, so up until this point, it is... No one is slick as Gaston. No one's quick as Gaston. Mm-hmm. No one's next as incredibly thick as Gaston. Da, 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 mm-hmm. And then when he breaks it off into no one's been a kingpin mm-hmm. and just uses like Gaston as sort of a comma, uh-huh. I enjoy that so much. I find that very fun. And I think it's like the only time it happens in this song. And it's very fun. Also... Um, one of the things that Gaston is very good at is tromping around wearing boots. No one, no one goes tromping around wearing boots like Gaston. So look, uh, Gaston might be my favorite song. Yeah, yeah, is that whole hilarious. scene is yeah. just—it's kinetic energy and that you know, kind of the bar style of that. Yeah, everything is swaying and like. There's like this Looney Tunes thing of mm-hmm. LeFou getting crushed in a million different ways. Yeah. So good. And it's this comedic scene, but you're learning so much about Gaston and you're learning so much about the mm-hmm. way that the world interacts with Gaston and vice versa. Also, mm-hmm. thanks to that song, there's canonically a Disney character with the same name as me. Oh, Tom Dicker Stanley, right? Yep. Yeah. Dick's, Dick's in Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> so. Sorry, Kate. So, Dick, our next segment, and those are both from Beauty and the Beast, by the way. Yeah. (laughs) Take that, Little Mermaid. (laughs) Yep. Uh, We like Little Mermaid. No, we absolutely do. MVP is our next final cut segment. Yeah, how do you want to do this? So, I think it can be anything. It can be a lyric. It can be a person, like, in Howard Ashman's... Orbit, but not Howard Ashman. It can be a project. Yeah, I think Howard. I think the subject of our podcast today would be cheating okay. to name him as MVP. Okay, I'm ready. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Lists. L- uh, great. Uh, Howard Ashman, like some of his best songs, are lists. Gaston uh-huh. is basically a list song, right? Under the Sea is a list song. Um, he just. He does a beautiful, uh, Prince Ali is a list song. Mm-hmm. Friend Like Me is kind of a list song. Just like, let me name you some things. Let me name you another thing. Here's another thing. Uh, and a quick special shout out to Prince Ali for my favorite, uh, one of my favorite little asides of proud to work for him. <laughs> yeah, we didn't even talk about Friend Like Me. No. Which is just. Bonkers. It's bonkers. And like, it's. <laughs> Right, like Robin Williams doing it almost shadows the bonkers lyrics mm-hmm. that are part of it. Um, and we haven't done Aladdin on this podcast yet, so I guess we can talk about that more then. But like, oh, we absolutely will. Just a like, who uses the word nabob in a right? Like, I 
I that it came across uh, my radar in a crossword puzzle like two <laughs> years ago, and it's the only time I've seen the word nabob or nabob yeah. outside of friend like me right. because no one you, like just what an archaic like library of words that man had in his head like mm-hmm. just really interesting. Um, that's a good that's a good MVP. Thank you. What about you? I am going to MVP. A song called Disneyland, and it is in the musical Smile. I mm-hmm. can we just uh, you've you've heard this song for the first time yesterday. Yep, and then I've listened to it like three times today. Okay, great. Um, so it's from the musical Smile, the Broadway flop. But um, the character who sings this song was in all of the carnation, incarnations of the show um, on and off Broadway is played by uh, an actress named Jody Benson. Oh, she was Sebastian, right? <laughs> um, and this is how Ashman and Jody Benson knew each other. And after this project was over and he was working for Little Mermaid, he got her an audition. And Jody Benson is Ariel, is mm-hmm. the voice of Ariel. And listening to the song and I don't know I can have it keyed up if we want to listen to part of it here or we can just like put a link somewhere what do you think we should let's do let's put Dick? a link somewhere let's put a link somewhere great um it is uh, it's so beautiful right it's it's the I want song of the show um even though she might not be one of the major characters of it it's a little confusing from the plot summary but it's this uh you know high school beauty contestant singing about how she just wants to go, like, her life was kind of messed up, and she became interested in beauty pageants when she saw Miss Anaheim, and the winner got to go to Disneyland, and oh, if she could just go to Disneyland, even though I know all the things they say, I know it's just, you know, chicken wire and plaster, and everything's painted on and schlacked up, and just listening, I've listened to it three times today, and I have, like, cried, like, at least one of the times, like, ugly cried Aww. listening to this song because this, this knowledge that this is... How did I miss that? It's You were in the other room playing some guitar. That sounds I, like me. I was ugly crying in oh here. If you had come God. out, I would have made you listen to it because it is the, the Broadway... It's not really a cast recording. They just kind of, like, preserved all of the changes that they made on Broadway in kind of a ad hoc recording because it didn't last long enough to garner a cast album but knowing that this is like 1986 and the song is written before and Jodie Benson has sung it before 86 and just her singing and of course it just sounds like Ariel is singing this song right like where like Jodie Benson has had a great voice career since all of this but she hasn't really had a major role besides Ariel that you would recognize her voice from so it's Ariel singing this song about she wants to go to Disneyland and magic carpet take me there. <laughs> and you're just like, this is Howard. This is Howard's voice. And this is Jody Benson's voice. And, you know, the last line is like, if when I go to Disney World, there I'll stay. And oh. it's just this wildly prophetic lyric yeah. for both of them, right? Yeah. That like he literally, once he gets to Disney... That's where his legacy stays. He, yeah. he doesn't get the chance to go anywhere else, but he is forever mm-hmm. in, you know, if you take that apart into two words instead of one word, right? Yeah. In Disneyland. Right. And that's, Jody Benson will now sing it and reference that too, that she's yeah. like, this song it was about the next 
stage, like was about the rest of my career in ways I had no idea at the time. And it's just so poignant. And it's a Howard Ashman I Want song, so it's also just musically excellent. Wow. And everyone needs to go listen to it. All right. I hope everyone has a good good ugly cry about this. Yeah, yeah. Cool. What's our next segment? Crossover. Ooh, what's that? Well, normally it's taking an element of each of the two movies uh, we have discussed Uh and crossing them over but you had an interesting idea for this one day i did Uh, please please share it because i I think we should go with that okay uh it was if howard ashen was uh around today Mm -hmm. um aside from alan menken obviously Mm -hmm. uh who would you pair him up to work with uh either as a lyricist or director or or what what have you Mm -hmm. So this is an interesting one mm. because, ooh, well, because okay. I think he and Lin Manuel Miranda might like, uh, like kill each other. Yeah, I don't think they should work. Like together. not kill each other. Lin Miranda would back down. Uh, yeah, but like they both have such singular visions and like just this like fountain of creativity that like they they need to do their own ideas. Yeah, they'd, they should. They'd be, be good friends. They should be separate. But maybe they shouldn't collaborate. Um. So it would be it would be someone like they should get drunk and yell at each other about how wrong the other one is about the use of one specific word at one yeah. point in a musical or yeah. something. Um, me. Oh. Does it have to be someone in the animation sphere? No, just a, someone. Because I think that's probably more. Inter- I would, I, I would be interested. I might have more than one answer, but this is the first one that comes to my mind. Okay, Tom Kit. Mm-hmm. Um, did he's the co-composer of Next to Normal, mm-hmm. um, more on the musical side, and he was music director and coordinator for SpongeBob, which means he took a bunch of different songs written by different people and kind of made them all the same. Mm-hmm. They, they fit in the same universe. And he's like music directed some of the like um, live TV things. I believe right? that's the case yeah. as well. Um, he's great, very talented, but I feel like he is a little bit of a of a sponge of whoever he's working with. Mm-hmm. He did um, bring it on the musical with Lynn Miranda, and it just sounds like just Lynn songs that yeah. also someone else wrote down, right? Like, so that would be interesting because I think you would get a very um, distilled version of Ashman. You know, if we're saying he's mm. kind of writing all the melodies and the accompaniment parts too, I think Tom Kitt would be like the most uh, kind of white bread and butter um, vehicle yeah. to realize those ideas. Um, that, I'm, it, not to say that Tom Kitt isn't a great musician and composer and storyteller in his own right, but I think he's just really good at like, okay, I hear what you're doing. Let's let's do this with it, right? Yeah. Um, so that would be interesting to me because then we would get a very Howard um, approach, which we haven't. We don't know if we've heard. We yeah. we maybe have, like, yeah. but that so that's that's what comes to mind first. Okay, Dick, do you have an idea? Yeah, Elton John. Whoa! I, I think Tim <laughs> Rice. Well, I I think Tim Rice is a great lyricist, right? Uh-huh. But he's lacking in some ways, mm-hmm. and I don't think, like, I don't know, but it doesn't seem like he necessarily has. The influence that Howard Ashman had, mm-hmm. right, where he would push to get ideas, um, and I think the the Lion King score is very good, 
mainly because there was someone else pushing Elton or pushing the, the music in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And that's Labo. And I would like to see Howard Ashman work with Elton John because Elton writes these giant grandiose things and mm-hmm. he writes these beautiful melodies. Um, and he's fine at lyrics, but like you get a Howard Ashman there and you get him pushing like, cool, this just sounds like an Elton John song. Make it something different. I think they could be a really good team. Yeah. That would be that would be really interesting. Yeah. Because like Howard Ashman's Aida, I want to hear. Okay. All right. I I wonder whether he would hear right because there's a story about like Elton John's first circle of life just didn't cut it. It didn't yeah. sound good. I think Howard Ashman would just write his own circle of life and be like, "Cool, we're using this one now." Yeah. I don't I don't necessarily I see Howard Ashman being like, Elton, try again. <laughs> so my, the idea of this, though, being they're writing in the room together. They are together. They're, yeah. yeah. Not, not Elton John has written a song and Howard Ashman is adding lyrics yeah. to it. But yeah. they're writing in the room together just like fully collaborative. Yeah. You certainly wonder how his, um, just how his musical genre style would um, evolve over time. Because it mm-hmm. feels like, especially his... Broadway stuff feels very much, uh, very durable, like Little Shop, but like Smile feels a little bit of its time, and maybe it's the Marvin Hamlishness of it all, but it like, okay, yeah, this sounds like a little like falsettos, a little like the other late 80s small musicals that were happening at the time. a lot of musicals that I just ignore. Yeah. Honestly. (laughs) Um, I'm sure falsettos is great. I know a lot of people that love it. But they've got some great lyrics, they've got some great character pieces. But yeah, you wonder if the style would have evolved a little bit with the times, right. um, and Elton John would certainly be someone to to push him in that direction. Mm-hmm. That's cool. All right, I like that. Yeah. Uh, alt- alternate, if I can mm. pick someone who is dead, mm-hmm. is Freddie Mercury. Oh, uh, because Freddie was an interesting collaborator. Mm-hmm. Um, he did like that. The uh, obviously under pressure with David Bowie, mm-hmm. which was less a collaboration and more of they both wrote lyrics mm. and then recorded them and then edited into one song. Mm-hmm. Um, but he did like, he, Freddie did some opera. He did, he did like a couple of different like explorations and collaborations. And he was definitely a fan of musical theater. You know, the last person to sing at his tribute concert was Liza Minnelli. That's correct. Uh, so, so it would have been nice to see Freddie do do some some musical theater. Uh, and as a really interesting and talented composer mm-hmm. who was not afraid to, like, take his rock band and make a bicycle race song or <laughs> uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, this weird, like, operetta sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it would have been interesting to hear his musical eccentricity and Howard Ashman's specificity. Mm. Um, and also just hear what kind of performance uh, Howard Ashman could have gotten out of maybe the greatest singer of all time. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I came up with another one. Okay. <laughs> um, Brenda Chapman. Oh, yeah. Right? Great like choice. Brenda Chapman directing a movie yeah. that Howard writes the me- Like, he could write the music for it. Yeah. Right? You, just, you either hire Alan Menken or right. Schwartz or, we, like... We love our Brenda Chapman an here orchestrator. on Cellmates. But, like, both 
really strong storytellers mm-hmm. and I feel like they would knowing what I know about them they'd work well together and like really just produce a strong story nice yeah Kate what's our what's our next segment here well is it the it's the final final cut cut uh, which is usually whether or not we want to re-release special edition or throw into the vault. I the would re-release Howard Ashman. Oh, yeah. He should come back. Re-release Howard Ashman. Please. Done. Uh, <laughs> I guess the we watched a film, the documentary. Yeah. It's not animated, but let's talk. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what What would you What would you do with it, Dick? Uh, I so I thought the documentary was pretty good. Mm-hmm. I le- I learned a lot of things out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it seemed like, strangely, like a couple of things were missing. Okay. Just like not talked about. So, I don't know. I guess special edition and put Oliver and Company oh in there. Oh my gosh. Yeah. What? Yeah. Seriously? Yeah, no, that's... Uh, that's how he got started at yeah, Disney. Yeah, I'd be interested in hearing that it's story, right? weird that they didn't include yeah. it. And it makes me wonder why they didn't include mm-hmm. it. Whether it was just for the sake of storytelling. Yeah. Where it's like, look, we don't need to talk about Oliver and Company. Mm-hmm. Or whether it's like, oh no, this was... an. This was a bad collaboration. It didn't go well, mm-hmm. you know. Or uh, whether it just wasn't an interesting story. Like, yeah, they, but, it was kind of like a freelance hire, and they basically, I just want more of the more of the documentary. Yeah. So I I want like um, an interactive pop up video of the documentary. I uh-huh. want to be. I want them to tell a story, and then I want to be able to click and hear that full song, or like see that oh, they have some great footage of the. Jerry Orbach and Angela Lansbury be our guest recording session. And I just want to click and see that whole recording session, the whole thing, every take, like, um, or just get more information about things. And um, yeah, I really like some of that behind the scenes stuff. I'm just like, no, just hook it to my veins. And they didn't even use, right? Like they didn't even tell every story. One of the famous stories of Beauty and the Beast is... um, Paige O'Hara singing new and a bit alarming and it's toward the end of his life. And so he just gets really close to the phone because he's in a hospital bed at that point. And his note to her is Streisand. <laughs> and so she goes new and a bit alarming. Right. <laughs> like I hear that story over and over. That's not in the documentary. No, it's not. And I think that was a funny choice because yeah. Mencken tells that story all the time. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, just, just like being able to like kind of click on an antidote and an anecdote um go off on a tangent anecdote. and then come anecdote and blah, 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 and come back i think yeah. that would be the only special edition that i uh, add cuz i think the documentary is very strong and very yeah. um it's produced by don han who mm-hmm. was producer on a lot of the renaissance movies um it actually was at festivals like 2 years ago and it took a while to come to yeah we you we've been waiting an on an audience that yeah. was not at a festival yeah we have been waiting on this is, was this Am I am I misremembering, or was this like coming to a theater near us in like March or April? I don't. It, it like the website has said coming to a theater near you for yeah. just the entire of two years. I don't think we had specific information. Okay, we thought we it was going to be when Disney Plus came out in November. Right, that was one of the stories, and then that didn't we, happen. We didn't have so. tickets to this though. No, we did not okay. have tickets Great. to this that got canceled Great. because of a pandemic. Was that, uh, I forgot about that. Oh. The global pandemic that's yeah. destroying the world. Uh, if you want some <laughs> pop-up video content, because 
I haven't been as good as at post. I'm our I'm our de facto social media post manager. You're a great job. Um, and You're I haven't been job. very good during the pandemic. You're doing a great even job. when I have not had a day job to go to. Um, but I will be posting a lot of extra information for this episode. But if you have mm-hmm. any uh, Ashman content that you'd like us to share with the world, or if you have any ideas for future episodes when we go back to our regular format of putting, uh, comparing, contrasting, and Venn diagramming two animated movies. Uh, usually Disney. Oh my gosh. Um, oh, if you... Uh, welcome to Soulmates Podcast. Oh no. I'm Dick. Oh no. Reverse, reverse. Well, oh, okay. Sorry. If you have movie ideas, either pairings or single movies, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Yes. Dick, how can they uh, contact us on Twitter? Oh, um, so... You grab your mouse and you click on our handle, which is, this is like an online lesson for a second. Cellmates podcast. Cellmates podcast. Then what about Facebook? I think you have to follow us, and we have to follow you if you want to send us a DM. Cellmates and podcast on Twitter. What about on Facebook? So on Facebook, you can either search for, or I guess you just have Cellmates to search. Cellmates Podcast on Facebook. You can reach us at cellmatespodcast at gmail.com. You we also have a website, cellmatespodcast.com. And then you can ask us if you would like for more detailed information, and Dick will send you a couple paragraphs on how to use the internet. Well, if, they, if they're sending that information, they already know. But they might not know the other... Anyway, thanks for listening, everyone. We love Howard Ashman. And we love you. And we, yeah. Uh, probably. Yeah. You seem great. Have a great day. Uh, hey, listener. Hey. This is just this is just for the listener, the person who's listening. Hey, you. You're great. Hope you're having a good day. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Welcome to Cellmates, a Cellmates podcast <laughs> about animated movies, mostly, okay. that are... Hold on, let me try this again. <laughs>